trying to kick off uh, a coffee company this year. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know how, how much... If you listen to some of the other podcasts, mm-hmm. I talk about Bulletproof Coffee all the time. Oh, uh, word? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if you... Do you know what that is? Mm-mm. All right, well, you may or may not know I'm quite fond of, uh, you know, martial arts and... Fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like fitness and all this other shit, so... You know, just from like reading a lot of stuff, like in that circle, and like being familiar with different trainers, different trainer tech training techniques. There's this thing. Uh, this guy Dave Asprey, who he has a certain coffee which he sources from high altitude in South America. And, mm-hmm. You know, South America is like you know. Yeah, man, I'm Colombian. Yeah, you're Colombian so we so you're got rep, it, baby. You rep it, you know? Yeah. So uh, the idea for that is um, you have like wet process. It's like at a certain altitude. There's no mycotoxins in it, and that's um. You know, basically, why people feel like they crash, like after you drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if you drink high quality coffee that's processed the right way, you're fine. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, when I went to Colombia for the first time, or, or well, not for the first time, but the first time I could really remember, when I was about like 15 or 16. Were you, were you born in Colombia? I wasn't. I was born in the States, but my I'm first generation. So my brothers, my sister, my parents, okay. everybody. So I went there and, like, coffee there was like the strongest thing in the world yeah. to me because obviously you know just being shipped and everything like that it's yeah. it's just so the the supply is so close yeah, that it totally. doesn't it doesn't lose as much everybody drank coffee straight everybody like there was there's really not too much of like the sugar milk thing a lot of people would drink it tinto just straight black mm-hmm. and it was so powerful to me but I'd never really felt like this insane drop off either yeah you know it was it was just a very different experience so that, that's coffee. the beans man because like I was saying you know like when you, know, you go to Starbucks or any of these sort of uh, industrial industrialized coffee places that you know they want to get so they want to get volume out there so they process it differently there's you know when you start blending coffee you start mixing different beans from different altitudes and different processes so you start introducing these things called mycotoxins, which are molds that grow on food. And that's what basically is like a poison, you know, so it affects your system adversely. So, you know, like the whole CrossFit, MMA, you know, jiu-jitsu lifestyle, like people, yeah. you know, are starting to pay attention to that kind of shit. So this guy, Dave Asbury, he has a site called Bulletproof Executive and, uh, he has this drink, which I've been drinking every morning, basically, like five or six days a week. And it's like coffee, uh, MCT oil, and uh, and grass-fed butter. And you throw it in a blender, and you fucking blend it. And it's like totally, I'm totally good until like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Because, I mean, it's got like 600 calories in it, you know? Yeah. So it's also, it's like a meal, but it's also... The saturated fat, like the MCT oil, which is basically, it's uh, medium chain triglycerides, mm-hmm. which are uh, an essential oil for your body, and it's fuel. So back, this is connected to the sort of paleo eating like, yeah, concept. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, you're basically... I got a few friends w- working on that yeah, one. <laughs> you're, you're burning fat instead of like, you know, carbs and sugar. Yeah. So the uh, medium, tra- chain cladris- the medium chain triglycerides satisfy your energy requirements for the day and also the fat slows down the release of the caffeine in your system ah so it's a little bit almost like a timer it's just oh like dude chill. you get this like you know you just I'm sort gonna of try like, this mike dude by all means you yeah. you sort of like rant you know fade into the day you kind of hit this nice plateau and you ride that out 
and then you just sort of like mellowly drop off and you're like, wow, I feel great, man. You just kind of feel good. Yeah. When we were recording... Uh, the it's like the good weed of coffee. Yeah. Like we were, we, <laughs> when we went down to record down in Florida, we all had that shit in the morning. Every morning we start off Bulletproof Coffee and I've been a big fan of that shit for, you know, since consistently I'd say since like August because I started going paleo like around summertime and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's the way, for me it's the way to go. I mean, I'm not going to try to sell it to anyone but like, how this relates to my coffee, the uh, Savage Gold Coffee Company, it's basically sourcing the same same type of beans. However, paying more attention to the roast profile because the um, the bulletproof stuff, though, is incredibly good for you. If you try to drink it black, it's like not, in my opinion, not the most uh, you know. Yeah, it's a little tasty. Rough. It's a little, it's a little, <laughs> little, little hardcore, you know. I was like, what's the catch? Yeah, that's the catch, but. There's been there's another coffee company out there called Caveman Coffee. And I've heard of that one. Yeah, they're they're uh, you know there's they have two two varieties. I just finished off a pound of one of them, and uh, it's kind of the same gig, you know. Mm. So my, I'm adding throwing my lot in there now, and uh, you know right now working on putting together a roast profile. Um, my friend uh, uh, Jesse Dano, who used to play drums and or he still does play drums in in, uh, in Ed Gein. Oh yeah, 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 he has good band, yeah. He's got a, a shop up in uh, in a roaster up in Syracuse. Oh. So he's been like go-to guy for this whole thing. Just jammed there with Earth Crisis not too long ago. Weird. W- Primitive Weapons? White Widow's packed. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, all right, I can see that. <laughs> Earth Crisis, damn. Yeah, yeah. Syracuse. <laughs> damn. But uh, Jesse Jesse runs a, a, um, a shop up there called Recess Coffee. So he like he's my guru and all this stuff. So he's going to be doing, you know, the roasting. Hooper's going to be doing the sort of package design. Uh, Thomas Hooper. So, yeah. um, you know, so Great. he's going to, we're working together on that. And uh, and that's going to be like, you know, this year, going to kick that shit off, man. That's awesome. That's you cool. Know? I love it when people who, like, live our sort of lifestyle of playing, like, Sort of Peter music. Pan it's lifestyle, just, we yeah. Yeah, you got to, I think there's always, like, a very entrepreneurial DIY spirit that permeates like most aspects of people's lives, you know, whether most folks either, even if they have a day job, they're doing something else or supplementing their income by, you know, doing whatever it is. And then eventually maybe for some, it really turns into something bigger, you know, how how it happened with us, you know? Yeah, totally, man. You know, and that's, um, you know, (laughs) kind of like the, uh, you know, that's, that's the next, uh, you know, non-band related thing I'm going to try to kick off. Yeah. I've been trying to eat way healthier too, man. I lost probably like six pounds. You look thinner. You look a lot more fit. Yeah. You've been, tra- been training at all? Do you any work? I've been, uh, I started uh, just doing more just calisthenics like at my house and stuff like that. And then I picked up some cardio kickboxing to just start really, I for me personally, I just really wanted to get my cardio level up for mostly the reason of like singing and yeah. continuing to perform at a level uh, you know i'm at that age where i'm about to turn 31 body started changing in the past like year or two yeah you know it's just like everything that everybody was telling you about is like oh yeah by the way now you're that age pal yeah (laughs) so between that and uh i've been trying to just eat uh, a lot more locally you know, as far as that stuff. So I go to Marlowe and Daughters and probably just destroy place. it, like, pretty much once a week. I go over there and, like, you know, that's where I get all my proteins, a lot of my grocery elements. And then I'll, like, 
And then from there, because obviously it's local and stuff, anything that I kind of want to supplement or anything else like that, then I'll go and like ride over to maybe like Trader Joe's or something like that. Yeah, and that's just, a good plan, man. It's just like a little bit of the half and half because I can't, I don't have enough time to, you know, figure out how to necessarily use everything right away. So it's a little more a step by step process. I'm like, okay, they have this. This week I'm going to try and maybe make, you know, these cool radishes and stuff like that. How can I incorporate it? But I can't do it like, I'm not good enough in the kitchen yet. Soon. It but comes along. You can come yeah. along though. So, totally. you know, it's the mentality. You know, and like that's, that's, I pretty much, I'll cook like a big quantity of food on Sunday and just kind of utilize it throughout yeah, the Yeah, I've been the doing the, like the baked chicken. Like yeah, I man. take, just get like a nice, awesome, you know, chicken from over there and then I'm, I'm turning into my mom. I can make chicken like 15 different ways now. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you should try to utilize some coconut oil, man. That's like, that's what everybody, I, I read so much about that shit. I haven't done it yet, yeah. <laughs> but I need to. That's what they uh, they derive MCT oil from. That coconut oil is an essential uh, saturated. I hate fat. the taste of coconuts, so I'm trying to. But you know, I, I feel like I hated carrots, and I've been learning how to fuck with carrots. <laughs> Have you ever uh, you ever check out those like high power blenders, like the Blendtec or the Vitamix blenders? Yeah, the Vitamixes are badass. We yeah. use them in. Um, at, over the eight in the kitchen, we use them to make different oh, yeah, things, okay. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Just crushes everything. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Those are cool. Well, we got uh, Dave Castillo, frontman of uh, Primitive Weapons, also primary booking guy over at the St. Vitus Bar here in Brooklyn, uh, which is probably, you know, definitely one of the luminary venues in the New York City area. Um, a lot of great shows have been going there. A lot of tours. It's actually a regular tour stop now for a lot of a lot of mid-sized tours. Yeah, definitely. It's developed into that over time, and it's you know it it's amazing. <laughs> well, one of the cool things I noticed is like even though like a bigger band, like you guys recently had Carcass play there, mm -hmm. like they'll do like a multi-night instead of just one stop. They'll end up doing like two shows or like yeah, that's something obituary. that you did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's something that like at first. You know, when we were, like, kind of figuring stuff out, we never really thought about that route. And then last last winter, really, like, around this time, we started uh, flying in a couple of bands during, like, the off-season, January and February, just to kind of, you know, keep things moving in the, in the venue, but also to kind of sort of see if it worked, you know? I don't know. Yeah. So for some of these deals, it was like, well... The first night could be really good, but if we did two, it would really like work out financially for everybody, I, we figured. And so we tried it, and um, I think the first like two-night stand was uh, Yab, maybe. Either Yab or I Hate God, but those are some of the, like, the pioneer yeah. shows for doing that. And what's really cool is that with those sorts of things, it's not like the band is on tour. So you're getting people from New Jersey, you're getting people from Connecticut, oh, upstate right. New York, mm -hmm. Long Island. So it, be, it becomes a thing where it's a little bit more of a regional thing. So it turned out to be, you know, very successful. And uh, now it's something that we do, you know, a little bit more routinely. It's obviously less stressful and easier to just have, the, obviously, the bands on tour. Yeah. But it's kind of cool to be able to sort of think about especially like in the off months a little bit like hey who's around who might want to like come by and like do something like this and then the two night thing definitely comes into play you know so yeah it's awesome 
Before I get too far along, I want—I just got to drop my plugs here. We got uh, anyone interested in buying uh, all hemp um, bags, we can check out uh, Datsusara. I have um, a link on the everythingwentblackmedia.com site. You can use that as a portal, and um, you can check out a full line of MMA-related uh, bags, gear bags, uh, also uh, jiu-jitsu gis, uh, grappling shorts, uh, T-shirts, and uh, there's also, they sell a really sweet fanny pack, actually. I don't Tight. know if you're down, if you're down with that. Tight. But uh, you can fit a water bottle, like all kinds of stuff Whatever on Whatever you need to do, man. And then uh, my, my other big uh, big go-to place is onit.com for um, any of your uh, overall performance improvement needs. You can go there and get um, a variety of different supplements, uh, you know, cashew butter, um, kettlebells, weighted vests, battle ropes. You know, you can get those sweet uh, normal shit. Blend tech blenders. Needs. You know, <laughs> normal stuff. You know, love it. Yeah, and also uh, earlier on we were talking about bulletproof coffee. Uh, on it also supplies uh, bullet- bulletproof coffee too. So if oh, you want to cool. buy like a pound of that stuff, you can just go there to their site. And uh, not only they don't don't only sell their own products, you can get you know bulletproof stuff. You can get uh, defense soap for all you uh, grapplers out there who are uh, trying to avoid getting uh, mat aids, you know, which, <laughs> <laughs> you know, ringworm, all that great yeah, stuff. Yeah, dude. Great band, bad to have. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can use defense soap, and uh, you can buy that all at onit.com. So, anyway, That's sorry sweet. for that interruption. Nah, man. man, it's all good, dude. I, I, you know, have tons of friends who train and stuff, and, you know, I think it's awesome. And I'm a fan of the sport. So. Yeah. My dad was a boxer in really? the Colombian military for, like, a while. Damn. Yeah, dude. My old man's kind of a badass. But um, I'm considerably less. But at the same time, learned a few things. And uh, he, we would, one of the things growing up, we would always watch uh, Tuesday Night Fights. Okay. And that was something that we did even when I was, like, a teenager and shit. And, like, you know, not you know rebellious little dickhead like we would still watch that and i remember watching like roy jones fight when he was like 13 fights in and just being like this guy's magic yeah you know and and you know other fighters at the top but yeah so you know i i watched tons of fights i love it you know and i have lots of friends who train and that's why i just you know i started doing some stuff myself and eventually i could probably see maybe trying to do some jujitsu yeah. or something else, but I just wanted to start with some fitness stuff because fucking, where's the time? Let me just go for an hour. And yeah, man. Say fuck. I mean, you know, jujitsu has always been, uh, you know, something that's like I like hitting things. It's kind of like a uh, you know populist martial art because it's not really you don't have to worry about brain trauma or like getting punched in the face or anything like that. It's all just. You know, submissions and whatever, you know. like doing It's good for the little guy and the big guy, too. Totally. That's what it was invented for, you know. It's like ah, anybody, well. you know. He saw, you know, back in the weight classless have made Yeah, his, Hoist Gracie. Yeah, just fucking yeah. destroying. That everything. was UFC 1, Hoist Gracie versus Frank Shamrock. Frank Shamrock was probably like 230. Yeah, and Hoist probably like 185. Like, he looked even. like me. I bet, I bet <laughs> Hoist was like 155. That's crazy. Yeah, then, I was just like... Who is this dude yeah. climbing into this cage with this fucking animal? And yeah. then, like, boom, done, boom, done, tapping everyone. It was really amazing to watch. This is insane. Yeah, I have like one of these like Hoist Gracie, uh, you know, highlight reels. That that's like the that's on there too. Yeah, yeah dude, it's like watching Michael Jordan 
It's funny because, like, uh, you know, the I think that might have been by design that the Gracies sent Hoist to, um, you know, to the UFC because you know, he's like a little guy and selling jujitsu to the U.S. like back in the early '90s might have been a little bit more of a feat. And Hickson was in Pride over in Japan, where yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, he's more of like a physically imposing, like 190 pounder, like yoked, yeah, you know, just like bestial like guy you know so to watch him choke someone out he's like oh of course he's winning because he's like this jacked up dude the japanese are more familiar with grappling i think or, yeah or yeah at least jujitsu a, a lot of, a lot of american audiences it's really cool uh seeing now that like someone like passes somebody's guard and or something like that and people are like cheering in a stadium yeah that just like didn't happen even like three or four years ago you know what I mean? Yeah, because no one had the Because nobody was like, w- yeah, and now it, I feel like the education is definitely rising with the sport. You know, it's like passing somebody's guard is like getting a, like a sack in a football game. Everybody knows it's like a big deal. It's like yeah. this could be the setup to the end of the of the, the match potentially or yeah, something, totally. you know? Uh, that definitely wasn't like around at all. Yeah, it's um, the UFC, I think, or MMA in general is uh, starting to become probably one of the biggest sports worldwide, you know? It's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it, I think it's just... What's interesting about it is I think that there's just such a cultural aspect to it that, you know, I feel like in the in the 90s and stuff, everyone sort of had their own, like, regional styles, you know? This is coming from Brazil. Yeah. We had a lot of strong wrestlers coming out of the States, you know, and now it, with all the cross-training and the internet and communications and everyone looking... At what each other is doing, yeah, you know things are starting to become obviously now that it's like the MMA athlete right. is from the beginning, from yeah, the b- basic stage. It's not like styles make fights anymore, like yeah. wrestler versus, you know, grappler versus you know uh, striker Kick kind of. Yeah, now it's like we train MMA, and that's what it is. So it's pretty. It was pretty interesting to sort of see that how it's sort of grown to guys like you know. The next dude, like Rory McDonald, I think is probably the closest guy to being like, I grew up in MMA, period. Yeah, yeah training never, all, all disciplines. Yeah, never like started, you know, and the, and you know, whatever kid right now is like 15, 16, 17 years old, he's definitely doing that. His goal is to get to the UFC. Yeah. It's not like, oh, my goal is to go to the Olympics and then maybe figure out what I'm doing afterwards. The only thing that I, I like think that if, if you start off just training mixed martial arts, I think that a lot of the sort of martial artist like mentality and philosophy might be lost a little bit because i mean i mean i started training uh, taekwondo like that was like the first thing i did like years yeah. and years and years ago and you know i feel like every you know i train muay thai and jiu-jitsu and all this other stuff and i kind of take that sort of mentality along with me as opposed to you know just like the whole lifestyle aspect of it as opposed to like the combat athlete aspect of it where it's yeah. more just like you know, domination and, you know, like more, more of a pursuit, building. more of a lifelong pursuit. Yeah, 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 totally. Which is totally, I think, yeah, I think that that's kind of obviously sometimes lost when it becomes like, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of sport money is being thrown around. <laughs> yeah. It definitely gets lost. That's like the only thing I really, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, down on that a little bit, but not, you know, I mean, I still love MMA. I would watch it all forever, you know? Yeah. Only thing that I wish I could change is if maybe like me and you could rewrite the UFC theme song. (laughs) I feel like uh, they need a new music supervisor. If uh, Dana's listening, (laughs) I 
got you, man. Like I will do, <laughs> I will make it happen. We will do some great shit. Um, I just, it's so sad. It's really sad. I mean, like I know athletes pick a lot of the songs they come out to. Well, dude, Josh Warmaster Barnett, man. Yeah. Bolt thrower. Bolt thrower. And yeah. I mean, dude, did you see the footage of him at those Every Time I Die shows? No. Uh, dude, he was like out in Las Vegas, like tossing kids off stage and shit. shit. Man. Yeah, Damn. he's like totally down. You know what actually was, I think, a fucking cool, like, I feel like it decided the match even before it happened was uh, Dan Hardy versus uh, uh, Marcus Davis. Oh, yeah. And Marcus Davis came out to a Dropkick Murphy song. Dan, it was at the O2 Arena, and he's got, I guess, a lot of fans over there. And he's like, you know, fuck you. You're not European. You're not from over here, you know. And, like, what are you doing? Come, you know, you're American. What are you doing coming out to this band anyway? So he comes out first to that Dropkick song. And then fucking Dan Hardy comes out to England Belongs to Me. And I feel <laughs> like he just... And then he won the fight. But I felt like he won the fight at that moment. He yeah. won, like, the battle of the song. Yeah. He destroyed it. Like I'm right more right. of a Dan Hardy fan, even though I think Marcus Davis is pretty badass. I mean, he started out as a professional boxer, boxer yeah. and then kind of got into all this other stuff later on in life. Sure. You know? Yeah, no, I think Dan Hardy is a really well-rounded fighter. And, you know, he's had some of his ups and downs. But, you know, yeah, he's really great. It's just a, it was fun. The lead up to that fight was fun. Do you know who Evan Tanner is? Yeah, man. Dude. I had um, uh, actually. I got a good story about this. I when I was doing Chronic Youth and I was writing still and you know booking shows and stuff. Um, I had the opportunity to go see Shrine Builder, and uh, and I got to interview Dale, Scott, Kelly, and uh, now Wino wasn't there. It was an L. So there's three of them. So I'm hanging out or whatever. And I, it was around the time Evan Tanner passed away. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, I found out that Scott, you know, you, you got these guys who are like fucking, you know, legends of the game. Yeah. And, you know, I've been probably asked every question imaginable. So I'm like, what's something different that like we could talk about or whatever, right? So I'm like looking on Scott's like personal blog and he wrote this whole thing about Evan Tanner. So um, I went, saw the show, fucking amazing. Yeah. And then we, we spoke, and, uh, you know, we are talking about stuff, and I was like, and we talked about Evan Tanner, and Scott just, like, said the greatest things about him, and that really kicked off the conversation in a really good way. It was really cool, but it was just, like, how he thought he was sort of, like, the most, like, the punkest fighter that probably oh, yeah. has ever lived. The way he self-taught himself, the yep. DIY mm -hmm. aspect of it, and just, like, who he was as, like, a kind of a person even spiritually and stuff like that yeah. he was saying that like he really like embodied a, a lot of you know just like this spirit that he found like really really cool he's that's just a remarkable story I, I someone's got to make a film well, I'm sure I was going to lead there's actually yeah, right? I, I donated money to a uh like um, a go-go, what the hell is that called? Uh, Indiegogo. Indiegogo. And it's actually, they, they secured all the funds. Sick. And there's a film being made right now about Evan Tanner's life. Yeah, and that's awesome. I'm going to be, I, I didn't even know they were doing that, but yeah. I'll be one of the first Look it up, it. man. It's like, check it out on the, it's like, they, just look on the Indiegogo thing. I'm sure the site's still up and that's they're awesome. talking about it. Yeah, and, and unbeknownst to me, Del Crover is like a huge, like, fucking fantasy baseball guy I guess and oh, definitely a big like Dodgers fan and shit which was totally like I didn't know that so it was pretty funny and then <laughs> and so then I'm talking to these two guys about sports and then like Al is like super quiet yeah and so I'm like uh, Al you like any of this shit and Al was like 
I play chess sometimes. <laughs> it was so fucking funny. It was awesome. What an amazing group of people, you know? It's just like... Yeah, the only person I know out of them is Scott Kelly, just a little bit. Not even that well, really. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, because of Vitus, I get to meet a lot of folks, but um, those three, none of their respective bands have played there. A lot of them, you know, they're pretty big bands and stuff, but uh, we did have Vitus, so... You know, I've gotten to meet Wino a few times. And oh, and also, uh, was it Hour 13? Yeah. Not, is, wait, that's, is that the name of the other band he's done? Um, no, the, For, he, it's like, he's done his solo stuff there. Then he's done Premonition 13. Premonition 13, that's and it. And then he, yeah, he did the solo stuff with Connie Ox, which is phenomenal for anybody listening. I think it's just a, if you want like a different speed, but like a really soulful, cool record, um, like a person more mellow listening, but still kind of heavy in content I really enjoyed that performance of his it was unexpected for me how, how much I liked it yeah. and then uh, obviously Vitus and so on and so forth yeah Wino's like definitely one of the luminaries man he's like someone that should someone should write a book about that dude for sure I mean, I'm surprised I, I, I that done. dude's like a fucking national treasure to me yeah I like I it, there's certain people that they just don't fake the funk man like they are they're the genuine article like you know like people like he's like almost like a paradigm but he is that and he just walks through the door and you just feel it off of him like this dude is a lifer a fucking warrior of the game and he's you know he kicks ass he's still kicking so much ass it's it's awesome it's inspiration I think you know as somebody who I'm like I'm 30 going on 31 and you're like yeah you know I'm still playing bands doing stuff and you're like fuck you why no boom you know what I mean you see guys like that you're like Get a long way to go before, you know, to continue along that path and continue to make and do stuff. It's cool. It's really cool. So you guys, uh, Primitive Weapons, just finished recording a, a record, right? We're kind of in the middle of in it, middle actually. Of it? Okay. Yeah, because we went to um, Dean Baltalonis again. Yeah. He's got a studio, Wild Arctic, up in New Hampshire, which comes highly recommended. Love you, Dean. Um, and basically we did it in kind of like, two pieces so we just laid down uh, drums bass and guitar which we're a four piece now so it's just basically one guitar Um, so we got through that pretty quick and we recorded at a bit of a different studio than Dean's normal room um, which was actually closer towards Maine and it was like an awesome big room getting like more of a organic drum sound so we went over there did some tracking over there and then me and Artie are going to go finish the record on February 3rd you going up to uh, back up to and then we're going to his studio doing uh, finishing some guitars and doing vocals and then kind of wrapping it up but yeah it's been uh, it's been awesome man yeah I got history with Dean Bottolano so I don't know if you know that or not oh yeah yeah yeah. bad history bad history I did not know that yeah he um, he's one of those guys who like uh, we had some business together and uh, he, when I was, my old band was on tour, and he, he uh, sort of got FSU to come and try to, like, uh, you know, beat everyone up at our show one time, yeah. With Dean, really? Yeah. I know. He, he, he sort of, like, projects, like, a different image these days, I think. Yeah. Uh, Dean's pretty mellow, from yeah. what I understand. Well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, other, other times. I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. But, uh yeah, man. So, yeah, just making it making it work. That's cool. So, yeah. is that still going to be on uh, Prosthetic? No, we left Prosthetic. Um, it, I don't think it was super great fit for us, and it was, 
it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I think uh, we also wanted to have a little bit more emancipation in terms of what we're trying to do with the, the newer record. Okay. Um, it, I think it sounds pretty different to begin with, but also, I, you know, we kind of... We kind of have our ideas as far as how we want to kind of like present it and into our sort of kind of roll out with it, you know. Sure. And at that time, also, the band was in a bit of a turmoil in between, like just certain members and things like that. And you know, it, it just was a situation where it was like we don't really know where this ship is going anyway. So probably best anyway to just kind of figure out, you know, what we what, where we were at. Now we have like I think a very a better, more confident view of what we're trying to do. So overall, which is nice. So are you guys, because Vitus, you guys have your own imprint now that you release records Yeah, out. Sacrament Records. We've yeah. done a couple of records uh, with some great bands. Sonnet um, being, you know, one of those bands. We got um, Strange Light, which is another great record with um, Jeff from Thursday and Brendan Tobin and Kenny, oh Brendan yeah right. and Kenny from White Widow's Pads. It's cool. a really cool like post hardcore record, you know. Sonnet it's done fantastic. We love it, and we kind of put some stuff out from time to time. I'm mean, gonna put out a tape by uh, this dude Josh Drawn who plays in Bora, and also in Azerswan, and it's called Vein War. It's a little more of a gothy clan of Zymox kind okay. of look. Cool, really great stuff. Um, and then yeah, I mean you know with primitive weapons it might come out on that might not we're i'm more concerned about making it <laughs> at this point and then yeah. we'll sort of see what happens yeah that's cool man yeah. yeah chill you got a lot of stuff going on man because you're also in addition to uh primitive weapons you have uh white widows yeah white what's widows that all packed. About? we added the pact because someone had the band name so um <laughs> yeah that that's just like i feel we started, you know, Primitive Weapons is a band that can kind of happen when it happens. Everyone sort of has, I'm the youngest person in the band, and everyone really has, like, pretty adult lives that kind of concern, every single person in the band owns a business. So it's kind of one of these things where I feel like it's a little bit more lightning, you know, when, it ha when it's happening and when it works, it just, like, happens. And... So with that being said, there's time where I'm not necessarily making music or whatever. So um, my friend Nick ended up moving up here from Texas, Nick MD, and uh, always been a fan of like his guitar work and doing stuff like that. And we just really wanted to do something really, really, really heavy and uh, crewed up with a couple other dudes. And, you know, we practiced like 20 times and we made that record. And then... It just went like really well, cool. so now it's just like yeah, cool doing that. So there's a good balance of it. I just feel like I'm almost in one band all the time, but it just really depends, you know, on on like kind of what's going on yeah. with each, you know. So it's it's really great and it's different too because uh, I think Primitive Weapons is moving in a little in the, the newer stuff, the direction. It's still pretty heavy, but it's also a little bit more rock and post hardcore. Yeah, I can see those that, yeah. those elements of the band are a little more pronounced this time around. Even though they were there last time, they're a little more pronounced. Whereas White Widows is like, we tuned to B and yeah. we fucking Heavy. crush, you know? The, uh, the, did you guys play a lot of the material on this new record back when we played a show together? Uh, we played three three songs. Okay, three yeah. new ones, yeah. And it was really fun, man. Um, had a good 
good time with that and just trying to always add new things is amazing you know and just to kind of like roll that out and feel it and see kind of how it works in real time you know when you're sitting in your house or your home studio you're like all right i think this is cool yeah (laughs) man that's like the biggest stressful thing about writing music it's like you know when you're doing it yourself you're like listening back and you're like yeah it sounds cool you have a practice tape or something and you're like yeah this this is all right man and then like then you go through the phase where you hate it, where it's like, oh, this sounds like shit. It sounds like a fucking worst thing ever. You know, my voice sounds funny. And then, yeah, it's just, after a while, you lose that objectivity. And then it's, when it's finally done, you kind of get that feedback. And then somewhere in the middle of, like, your ideas about it and, like, what people are telling you about it is, like, a sort of happy medium, like, where the music can kind of exist. You know what I mean? Yeah, in, Absolutely. In uh, for me, it's all about, like, execution of the idea, you know, because I just want to kind of at least try and make what's in my head or as close as possible, and if I feel like I can at least achieve that, yeah, then it's like the opinions about it or whatever, that's something that's just external, and I can't really... I can't, whatever. You, you can't know? control like, it. Who yeah. gives a shit? It's a totally subjective but if I, thing. But if I feel like I left something on the field or on the table, that that's what bothers me. Yeah. If I go back and I listen, and, you know, I think every musician still go back and listen and be like, you know, you hear those stories, you're like, yeah, I don't really like that record. And you're like, what the fuck is Musician X talking about? That's like my favorite shit. Yeah. But I feel like you, you know, and you just hope to do the best you can at that at that particular moment. And I think that that's kind of like what I'm always, that's a ghost I'm chasing after, you know, and hopefully I'll get better at playing and stuff like that. And that, that moves on a little bit. Then after that, it's like, all right, cool. If I feel like I confidently like put something forth that aesthetically and like kind of spiritually is like, all right, I think this is awesome. Then that, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's all I can do. <laughs> after that, it's like, all right, cool. I never even expected Primitive Weapons to become... Uh, you know, it was like some friends, you know, playing. I hadn't played music in almost four years. What were you doing before Primitive Weapons? Dicking around. Just I mean, like I, the, the way that that whole thing came about was like kind of insane because I guess um, I was in a position in my life where when I was kind of like in college and those years of my life, I was booking some shows on Long Island. That's where I live and where I'm from. Um, very involved in like activism and other things like that and you know doing a lot of stuff and organizing and things like that really like came out of those sorts of things like music and organizing those things and mm-hmm. all these things worked hand in hand you know what i mean wasn't there that was the, the pwac was like uh pwac was a little bit before my time before but already was very involved yeah, in okay. from primitive weapons and starting that and that was like huge i mean that was yeah. like for my generation was like which is basically like just this huge warehouse on Long Island, but I mean, like Fugazi played it. Like yeah. it was huge folklore around that. Um, I was involved in a couple of different spaces and just DIY shows that there wasn't a big central location for them when I grew up. There was different little spots that kind of cropped up for a year or two and then would die or whatever, as those things do. That's kind of the know? nature of the whole. That's thing. That's the kind of the nature yeah. of the beast. So, you know, just starting up with that. And then, like, I played in a band um, here and there, and it was kind of like my first band, you know, and stuff. And then, basically, I moved to the city. And in that time, 
um, you know, just like adult, kicking into adulthood, some things changed. And fortunately, at that time, a good, really good friend of mine passed away, really kind of changed a little bit of the trajectory of what I was sort of doing. At, at that time, I had like a job as a copywriter in advertising. Mm-hmm. I was kind of coasting and trying to figure out how to sort of make money, make my way a little bit. Right. And, uh, and then I kind of realized that those pursuits aren't necessarily that great, in my opinion. It kind of like shook my world a little bit. And I hadn't played music in a couple of years, and I sort of came back to sort of just like, what, what am I doing? I'm doing all these things with my time, but none of them are really, they're external to actually what I really like and what I'm about. So then I kind of like, I was like, all right, cool. Let me like, you know, book some shows, do some stuff. Like I would always be hanging out, but I wasn't really contributing anything to to anyone really. I felt like, you know, which really was a harsh but true realization. I felt like the way that I was living. And that's what sort of started the, the whole path to doing primitive weapons and then to do Invitus really. Because after that, after not playing for so long, I'd did feel like I had some things to say and I was watching good bands play like you know you see Kylesa play in the basement of the Charleston <laughs> or something and I was like damn this is great and I'd see Trap Them you know and Black Breath Down like just seeing some really great bands and I was like you know what like I don't necessarily have to always be in this role let me let me go out and like fucking express myself yeah man of course. So then I, um, I'm a big fan of Artie's. Uh, Mind Over Matter was a very influential band from where I grew up, and uh, I think he's a phenomenal songwriter. Chris was the drummer in On the Might of Princes, which if you like post-hardcore, if, and you're from New York, and you're like my age, was a, you know, a band that a lot of people liked. So I happened to be friends with both of them, and I knew Artie wasn't doing much, and I kind of like was like, you can play with Chris, and then Chris, you can play with Artie. And then I'll sing. <laughs> like, that was like really the sell. And then after that, we made the first seven inch, and uh, it all worked from there, man. You know, it, it worked itself out, and it became like a thing. And it just, it was cool. Like, you know, people kind of took to a little bit of what we're doing, and it was not, it was a little oddball. It had like its own thing. You know, I think that's a lot of the Long Island post hardcore, New York post hardcore personality being played out through like, heavy music and also having Eric who's from the Midwest being like well I don't really listen to tons of these reference points but I really love Jesus Lizard and the Cows Hoover stuff like that and we all like that stuff so but he brought it in like in terms of like a much harder influence to the band and that really kind of like was like oh okay I didn't think this was going to go this way are we really at first, I thought we were going to sound more like a hardcore band. Yeah. Hardcore, hardcore band. And then it was like, no, nope, this sounds nothing like that, but fuck it. We like. It's always this. the way it works out, yeah. though, man. Like, always. Yeah, it's you... just about the personalities and who's playing. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, and then already, you know, started working uh, on doing Same Fighters. And really, the band started, this band predated all of that. And then, step by step, to the place we're at now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, that's I guess that's it's cool when like you can kind of form a band and you you have that sort of everyone has like their idea like what they want what they think it's going to sound like, but then when you finally sit down to write the songs and you get the, a vibe together, 
it's completely different. Like in your head, it's one thing, but then when you listen back to it, you're like, it's completely different. Yeah. And then as the years go by, it gets even further away from that as you actually sort of like transcend your influences and start gelling more as like a songwriting entity and because yeah becoming more of your your yourself your own sound it's like this i kind of try and tell people like it's like you're like a person you know it like the band is like one person and like the people in it are like different sides of the personality of that one person and so over time you like mature you know when you're like first record you're like five years old or something but whatever you do yeah yeah exactly and then you just kind of kind of go from there and some people find their voices a little quicker than others and i feel like at least for us the shadow gallery the last one that we did was like it really hinted to like okay this is like the thing like this is where we kind of who who we are a little bit it's like we're like a 17 year old (laughs) you know so it was like oh okay cool like this is really taking its its shape a little bit um and that's always to me that's really fun it's fun to kind of like find that and it's also cool to go back and just like listen and be like that was what really was on my mind and to really think about that and those periods you know of like life and stuff you think back and i was like man i was so loaded with a lot of things that i wanted to say from not playing music for a while it also became a little bit of a challenge because I said a lot of things too, and sometimes you know, I for me, I'm not, I never really was like a musician in the way where I like now I consider myself a musician, but it really for a long time never really thought about myself that way so much, and it's kind of strange. But um, now at this point, I'm like, well, all right, my experience is looking backwards has sort of like run dry a little bit, so now I have to think about something else and like what is that that was kind of like i've never done that before so that was cool about overcoming a little bit of that hurdle for this new thing which i'm super psyched about so yeah when's when's that well you guys are in the middle of doing it but do you have like a projected sort of you know release date i'm hoping that it comes out in the summer okay yeah Yeah, that's that's what I'm, i'm i'm hoping for you know like i'm not gonna take too much time to you know do whatever uh as far as like you know, if we have to put it out ourselves, it's great. You know, doesn't matter. I just really, you know, I'd like to to get it out around that time. Would be cool. You know, late spring, summertime would be awesome. But, you know, we'll see. I'm just more excited about just finishing it and just like being able to do it. You know. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. It's been, you know, like a year and a half, and you know how that is. It's just like it's the elephant in the room. These songs have been in the back of my my mind for a long time. So it's really great to finally be like, I want to see them in their purest form. I want to like get it to that that place in the studio and stuff. And you know how it is. You'll never hear it back better than you do like after it's mixed like in a studio. With, oh yeah, like, you know, it's the like the pinnacle of ever listening yeah. to yourself. Yeah, it's, it's never amazing. Gonna, it's never so. going to sound like that ever again. You know? Yeah, you're like when people listen to it and they're you know ipod or whatever the fuck you know what i mean it's never going to be like you know for you sitting in eric rutan's studio like boom or actually sitting in in mastering was like the jam yeah that's pretty sick that's like did they do they do that stuff all in-house in there no we we had it mastered at uh, alan duchess's uh spot yeah jersey right well he's in he used to he was in jersey for years for decades but now he's upstate new york in uh east windsor oh okay which is like close to beacon like uh Westchester, not Westchester, uh, Dutchess County area. Oh, okay, cool. And um, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, I think almost without with maybe one or two exceptions, like every single album I've ever played on, Alan has mixed it or not mixed it has uh, mastered it. Ah, oh, cool. So Sweet. I mean, I've been going to that dude for like fifteen years easily. <laughs> yeah. You know, so and also Rutan is like tight with him and. That always has to happen, yeah, I feel yeah. like. They have, like, a relationship, and they know each other really. That's their, they have that whole New Jersey connection, you know? They yeah, They know each yeah, other yeah, for yeah. a long time. That always, that always is, um, I think, really important. Because it could get, you know, things get lost in, in, in the in the kind of, in the chain sometimes, you know? Yeah. If, if it's a little too divorced, you know? Those people need to talk a little bit. I, I mean, and also, just, like, um, for the last couple of records, I mean, I've been moving... I've been wanting to move closer and closer to just like people working with people I know and I feel comfortable with and, you know, and, and friends when I can, you know, it's like, as far as even like getting photographs taken of the band and, you know, the, the artwork and all that stuff. I, I'd rather, I want to keep it all like in this sort of in, like a group, like a, in, in the family in certain ways, you know? Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, 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 artwork really falls in my lap most of the time as yeah. far as like how we were doing stuff and so my friend Lawrence has designed all of our records as far as layout and stuff like that since the beginning and he's going to do the next one and uh, my best friend Nikki took the photos for the last record so the entire yeah I just kind of like like going with that and I've been friends with Lawrence since I was 17 and Nikki since I was like 18 you know so yeah. I really like. I enjoy that. It's fun to kind of be like collaborating with folks who I think will give it a little extra something too, because it kind of comes from us, a group of people. Yeah, that, you know, feels good. Keep it with the homies, man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, and like I, I never, I'd, I'd never really met Eric Rutan before going down there, or before starting to talk to him. You know, we'd never met before. And, uh, but now I just, I feel like I hit it off and like, I feel like he's like the kind of guy that like I can relate to. And that dude is a monster. (laughs) Well, yeah. In a lot of ways, he's a monster. He is insane. Yeah. I I tell this story. So I I feel like Hate Eternal is one of the most brutal shows that's ever been at Save Vitus as far as just like when you talk about a band that's like extreme. Yeah. (laughs) Hate Eternal is the fucking shit, dude. Yeah. I, I, I'm a fan. Like, I like the music, but just the way that it went down was so fucking burly and nasty and just never off the gas pedal. It's like, when you think it's going off, the dude found, like, a second gas pedal. And was uh-huh. like, yeah. That shit was so... When people say pummeling, like, they use yeah. that pump, that's it. They fucking... It was firing on all cylinders. I remember... Met Eric for the first time, walk into the venue, you know, um, it's a little bit before doors, just saying, hey, what's up, making sure that everything is kind of where it needs to be. So I'm talking to dude, he comes out to me, very nice smile, and he's like sitting there, just kind of warming up, playing his guitar, <laughs> right? And we're having this whole conversation like, oh, did you get the money for the buyouts? How was soundcheck? Oh, you know, just talking over what we need to talk over. And then I just start listening to what he's playing on the guitar. And I'm like, I'm having like a full-fledged, like pretty much like kind of businessy but friendly conversation with this dude. Yeah. And what he's playing on guitar right now is better than 95% of the the bands that play at St. Vitus. Just because of, he's incredible. The guy is fucking incredible. But I was just like, wow, like this dude is such a fucking beast. Like, 
I was just sitting there, and then I go downstairs, and the drummer has like the full like pad rock band setup. Yeah, yeah. But, like those guys were warming up for like two and a half hours, then yeah. played for like an hour, and sh- like it's like they never stopped playing. Like the whole time they were hanging out, it was oh, fucking yeah. a hysterical, but b commendable because of how the dedication and the vibe, and also it translated to the performance. They were absolutely devastating. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like a fool, like trying to play guitar in that dude's studio, man. It was, just like, <laughs> it was so crazy. Like, you know, I was so like going into that whole recording session with him. I was just like, man, I, you know, I better have my shit together when I get down there. This fucking guy's gonna make fun of me. He's gonna think I'm a clown. It's like it doesn't even know how to fucking play guitar. You know, it's just yeah. I was, you know, I think we were all a little intimidated. You know, even Andrew. Andrew was like, you know, he's played with like Derek Roddy and like these insane drummers. Yeah, and, totally. Like, you know, he was in fucking Morbid Angel. You know, he's like Pete Sandoval. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like. You know, like this titans is, of the game. Yeah, like this is like the next level of performing, you know. And just like his reg, the regular bands that record there, like Goat Horror, are like fucking sick. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. I think you know what you're getting into, and I think that you also understand that the guy, he's intense. He wants to make great records, yeah. and that's what it's about with yep. him. And I think that that's if you want to challenge yourself, like why not? You know what I mean? Like I tell everyone, I'm like. If you think this sucks, don't let me do it. Like, you know, I want to be, I'm I'm not like a wimp. I'm going to, I'll fucking sit in there for 10 hours and make it as rad as I can. I'll rewrite things. Like, I don't want to just like go with the flow. I want to fucking, I want to be pushed all yeah. the way. Well, you know? I feel like, you know, Mutt Lang making Def Leppard cry. Like, let's go. Like, I'm in, you know? And I think if you're if you're serious, like you should want that. You should want to like fucking go for it. Yeah, well, for for me specifically, and I probably said this a couple times before on um, these podcasts was, uh, you know, I I, reth- I started rethinking like my whole approach to playing as a result of like recording with him, and I was thinking about like, you know, I, I like started using different gauge strings. I'm like, you know, you know, using heavier gauge picks and. Uh, you know, just like the whole top to bottom concept of what materials you need to bring with you down to the studio. Like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, maybe I should get a different guitar. Maybe I should, you know, like, get, like... A grenade. You know, fucking all <laughs> kinds of shit, man, you know? And, like, I think everyone else, same deal, you know? I mean, Andrew has, like, started, you know, kind of, like, assessing different, maybe, rehearsal techniques and things like that. So, I mean, it was really an intense experience man I think everyone says that the first time they record with him you know and fuck yeah man yeah. absolutely but he's a bro man I fucking love the guy like I can't yeah I think that there's know. also a fine line between like oh man this is a lot or it's like alright cool you know what like not that didn't sound good let's do it again you know what I mean and yeah. like whatever or like dude if you really want to do this you gotta fucking play it this way or you've gotta really hit it like this or it's just it's not coming you know it's yeah. you're not doing it and I think that, like, it's just like having, like, a really good friend. A good friend that should be like, dude, you got shit all over your face. Yeah. I'm not going to let you walk outside with shit all over he's your more face. Like a, I think he's more like a wrestling coach, man, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's more like a fucking guy who's like, you're not cutting it, man. you got to train harder or do something, man. It's just the yeah. same shit. You know? Totally. I mean, and you got to get there. You know what I mean? Or you got to change something to make it awesome. Like, if you can't get there by this route... Maybe it's like, maybe you shouldn't go that route and you should really rethink some of this too. Yeah. And I think that that's also equally as valuable. Like, did that vocal line, I don't know if it'll ever get there. It just kind of blows. You know, and then, and, but, and you wrote that shit. So you got to be like, 
Oh, fuck. Yeah. Eric Rutan thinks my fucking vocals blow. Let me go back to the room. <laughs> Let me go back to the drawing board. Or Dean's like, eh, you know. Surprisingly, it's funny. It's because, like, I... But I, I spent, take that. I spent like, so much it. time, like, rehearsing guitar, you know, and, like... Like, on Path Totality, it was kind of the other way around. It's like I spent way more time rehearsing vocals and not as much time rehearsing my, my guitar playing. But this time around, I was switched. And I had still had a way harder time performing guitar. But the vocals fucking came. Like, so, like, boom, just, you know, a couple of half days and it was done. Sweet. So, I, and I was, like, really shocked about that. You know, I thought, for sure, because I usually have, I usually spend a lot of time I have a hard time doing vocals in the studio. For me, I mean, that's all that I do, so yeah. I'm really, like, meticulous about it now. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think with uh, with Primitive Weapons, a very, like, layered sort of approach and sound, too. So between, like, I write pretty much most of, most of the vocal parts, almost all of them, even, mm -hmm. like, Artie's yeah. and stuff. And then, like, Artie will always, like, take it and always give his spin yeah, and add, course. you know, like, his vibe, but... Um, you know, so I'm just like sitting there, like constantly, you know, pretty much thinking about it. I'm last, so it's like a very different sort of thing. And then sometimes, you know, there's that little bit of magic that happens in the studio where you're just, oh shit, what was that? Oh yeah, let's change this part or whatever. And it, and it all works for the best, and you got to respond to that. So that's actually part of the reason why we did the record in two bits this time. Is like now I can instead of responding like tomorrow. After I just heard that shit in its newer incarnation last night, right? I got two weeks. Yeah, you know, two weeks for a review, which I think is, it's it's helped. It's cool, and also just the clarity of certain things. You know, being like in a loud band, it's just like, and especially in New York, where your private space is like the size of a fucking shoebox. Yeah. Just getting a lot of the articulation, especially for us and like more melodic things, mm -hmm. is really like, oh, okay, this is a little bit more this way and this is a little more that way. It's like just a bit of time to fine tune those things. It's like huge. It's absolutely huge. So that's why we did it that way. No, that's good. I wish I wish we, I could do something like that. Like I wish there could be like a break in the middle of the recording. I mean, you know, in the in the past, I've done. I've recorded the records myself too, like some of our earlier stuff. You know, yeah, did, and you did anodyne stuff yourself. Too, I did some right? some of it. I did some yeah. of it. Dean did some of it. Uh, the dude Chip recorded some of it. Um, you know, it's all over the map with that band too. And uh, you know, in, in those cases, actually, the Quiet Wars, like the first, like the thing we did on Escape Artists, we recorded that in uh, this warehouse called the Garment District, and in in. Uh, in in Boston, it's like a hmm. used clothing store. So we just did it nights over like, you know, several weeks. Like we were, you know, it was real no pre no pressure situation yeah. to go in there at night. We had to go in there after eight when it closed. But you know, there's really no pressure to finish it at, at a certain date. You know what I mean? So we had a lot of time to do that. But um, but yeah, it's like, you know, once things start like stepping up into a different realm, and you got you have all these like deadlines and stuff and then someone else is paying for it and you know you gotta like it becomes a thing it becomes like something <laughs> that yeah you, you I'm but, just thinking about it I'm like alright three days that's what I got and that's what we're fucking doing you yeah. know what I mean and like I'm down with it it's just uh, I've never it's the longest release that I've ever done as far as like it's nine songs yeah and then the Widow stuff is gonna be like eleven 
So the songs are the are the songs shorter though, or um, I think so, it really depends. Actually, new what Widow shit too is it's becoming a little more expansive, a little bit more. I just I think that to be honest, I'm a little bit. I've been screaming in hardcore bands and like in that vibe, in that mode where that music exists. Uh, I'm more comfortable because I've been doing it for a lot longer. So I feel like there is a. It, it's a little bit easier for me to sort of approach and sort of assess because it's a little bit more of my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like with Primitive Weapons on the last record, I tried a lot of different shit for me. And it, a lot of it worked out. Some of it fell to the cutting room floor. But it was cool. I think with Primitive Weapons, too, the sound is like consistently has consistently like changed a little bit over yeah. time and so that's where you know it's a little bit more like I don't really know how it's going to necessarily go so I think about it a little bit more whereas the thing with Widows it's just it's getting heavier and it's getting more like death metal-y oh cool in in, in certain, some of the writing which is really interesting and cool especially because I like a lot of death metal especially European death metal uh-huh. but I just I've never really been in that position so I'm like fuck yeah alright cool man like let's do this That that's kind of like the newness in, in that aspect but it's still a little bit more in my wheelhouse you know I'm like alright I know how this is gonna go yeah let's yeah. fucking more dial com- up this and that level, you know. exactly so that's you know it's it's interesting it's definitely interesting so before um, you were doing the booking you know rigors at uh, St. Vitus you had another operation you were doing here you're booking shows in new york with a different under a different sort of guys right yeah yeah yeah. because that was a chronic uh youth yeah chronic youth was a thing that me and my friend uh fred started and we basically just wanted to kind of we felt like at that time there was a little bit of a void yeah in the new york city area where it's like dude where is there like a rad hardcore show or punk show or metal show and everything seemed very um, disparate, you know what I mean? Like, there's this thing happening over here, and here's this thing happening over here, but nobody really, outside of these sort of very specific people, like, know about it, mm-hmm. and there wasn't really, like, a lot of uh, things that should cross-pollinate. Punks, metalheads, you know, fucking hardcore kids, goths, yeah. you know, growing up around New York, the beauty of it is that all these motherfuckers are in one big soup that's really dense, big-ass dense soup but it felt like very segregated at that time for some particular reason and we kind of just wanted to go and like kind of fuck with it you know uh i have very wide tastes in in music so does fred so we decided to sort of book some shows and do stuff around here but also do this website where we would you know kind of like write about sort of what we consider to be like dark and heavy music yeah and and like kind of like the lifestyle of it and kind of that would wouldn't be so traditional per se, and then also book some shows around here and start working at that kind of like twofold kind of level, and we did some really cool fucking things, man. And I had a great time with it, and it definitely led me to Vitus. You know what I mean? It led me to being able to start that because of you know the experiences I had there and. uh you know, and, and Artie and George and those guys seeing that, you know what I mean, beforehand, you know? It wasn't just that I was their bro that was in a band. I actually yeah. booked some shows. The, because uh, that time frame was right around, like, right after CB's shut down, and there was, like, that sort of, there was that period of time where there was really no, 
this, there was this sort of, like you were saying, like disparate, you know, there was like the basement of the Charleston, there was like, but there really weren't too many venues back then. Nah, yeah. not not that we're like trying to really be down with yeah. what what I'm down with. Like I didn't feel like there was necessarily something that full on like represented me or was wide enough too. You know what I mean? Like I, I really can appreciate some of the venues that are like doing similar minded or other things. You know um, that like you know Vitus does or something like that. But I think at that moment too, in we're talking about size wise mm -hmm. production. Values wise, other things like CBs had a great sound system. Yeah, you know, and like that, everybody knew that. Like there were certain aspects to it where it's like, w was Rorschach in the basement of the Charleston fun as fuck? That was insane, cool. But at the same time, it's like it, it existed in like this certain mode. And I'm not putting a value judgment on it, but to me, it was like where was like where where was this mid size thing? Yeah, and yeah, it, what, what it was also like super committed to being like also about like dark and heavy and weird music like i felt like when i was growing up you know uh cbgb's you know was obviously always around you had coney island high yep. you had tramps you had all these clubs in the city and they were like the mid-sized clubs too yeah the ones that were not you know the, the little you know 100 person guy or 95 person guy or whatever that is and it wasn't 600 either and i think that even just as a room as a size there wasn't much going on like that, much less mm -hmm. that was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking book Purian on a fucking Saturday night <laughs> and see, let, let's try that, you know? Um, <laughs> this, so I think that that was, that was kind of the mission a little bit, you know, to bring, bring that vibe back. Because now, now like Vitus is definitely like... Purian is playing on Friday night. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. At, at Vitus? Yeah, at Vitus. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. It's awesome. I just think that people would give their time to it, you know? It's like, why not? It's not the biggest place in the world, you know? It's like, I need... Yeah, you know, you know New York has typically not had very big venues. Like, big... Like, you play New York, you play in a small room. Like, ABC No Rio. Like, people think of, like... Like, when I went to San Francisco to play at... Or, or Berkeley to play at Gilman Street for the first time, I thought Gilman was going to be, like, a tiny-ass place like ABC No Rio. But it's, like, this massive... Warehouse, like you know, like, I think you could fit like what, like four hundred people in that fucking place. Yeah, you know. So I mean, for New York, St. Vitus is a, a pretty fucking big spot, really. I mean, considering where people normally play. Yeah, definitely. I also yeah. think it was it's something where I wanted to like. I think still. It's comfortable there as well. Yeah, I'm to say. absolutely, and yeah. I think still. I wanted it to be a place where like bands could go through there to even get bigger. You know, I think that there are a lot of a lot of bands that, you know, could headline that room now that are from around here that can also, you know, as they're they progress through their music and through their careers and like making more art, they can they can get, you know, go to bigger rooms and stuff like that. And to be on that level, you know what I mean? I mean, look at even at a band like Death Heaven or something they've played, you know, I've had multiple times. And now they can easily do a 600-person room, you know? Or even look at someone like Chelsea Wolf. Chelsea Wolf has played Vitus. I feel like that's the same. Uh, look at Paul Bear, you know? So I feel like there are a lot of these bands, too, that it's, like, a great room to kind of, like, go through that and also give people, like, the full headlining experience of a band like that. Mm -hmm. I think is like, really cool yeah. to just be, like, cool. Like, 
check this out. And then, and you know, I think a lot of people pay are starting to pay more attention to the things that happen there over time. Oh yeah, and for sure. it, it's very well documented thanks to Frank and Torsten. Frank, uh, who does Pit Full of Shit, go check his stuff out. Uh, he films so many shows at Vitus. He's like between him and Torsten, who is on yeah. Artig. Um, again, if you guys want to see great shows, f- fucking go check these guys out. And, you know, not just Vitus shows, but from all over, especially Torsten's been doing this shit since Germany, 1990. His, his stuff <laughs> looks, his, his footage look, lo- always looks really pro, it's too. It's fantastic. Yeah, and both great... those guys are, are great. They're super cool. And since day one, we just have always let them film and be in there for free. And so when you have you know these guys are also putting that stuff out it's really cool like you know people look back and they reference those things and they see the crowds and all of that i think helps has been helping to build that and i feel like heavier darker music in in all its different shapes i feel really good things are gestating even more so as far as how it's it can grow and continue to grow from where we were you know even four or five years ago to like, hey, wh- wh- where do we go? Has it been four or five years ago? We, oh, Vitus will be three. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. But, even, but right. even like, you know, as like a place in New York City to being yeah. like, there are like a ton of cool bands from New York right now playing, doing cool stuff, being recognized on national, on the national you sure. know, stage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I could book three bands from Brooklyn and fucking slam that place. And it's fucking awesome. And I feel like that's also cool, too, that, you know, bands are, like, forming and coming to this place to also kind of, you know, gestate and create shit. Best, a great example, Utoid Man. Um, I don't know who they are. Ah, oh, dude, they're great. Yeah. Uh, it is Ben Collar from Converge, okay. Stephen Brodsky from Caven, right. and Nick Caggio, who played in a band called Brohammer from uh, Brooklyn. I heard I, I heard them play because we practiced next to the Acheron and they, they were playing. The yeah, si- and they, they... Singers like, sounds like Neil Turbin, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they jam super hard and uh, Nick is a great bass player but he's also our head sound engineer at St. Vitus. Oh, wait, Nick. Like, yes. I know Nick. I know exactly. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. Really good guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, really good at his fucking job. Thanks yeah. for making the play sound great along with uh, a couple of our other sound dudes who really do a wonderful job. But basically, that band met... Well, you know, Steve and Ben are old friends. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to play music. And Steve met Nick at St. Vitus, and both him and Ben were playing for Julie Christmas in oh, a yeah. backing band with her. And then Steve played a solo show, mm-hmm. and they kind of hit it off. And now Nick plays bass in Mutoid, man. And that whole, you know, they, they found the, the missing piece to their fucking crazy music. Really, like... Just cool, like rock weirdo, heavy, off time, awesome shit. It's pretty awesome. Mutoid Man, so I think an, an apt name. But you know that band kind of like the origin story kind of came together through the place. I think that's kind of cool. That's the sort of shit that like you know in twenty years or so, who knows if it's them or another band or just bands in general. But it becomes like part of the fabric of the the whole story. You know when you're talking about. CBs and like who met when and where and then like oh and then Walter came from Connecticut and blah 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 <laughs> Gorilla Biscuits son yeah. you know what I mean no, totally. so I hope that 
that is what can happen. You know what I mean? And continue to happen. And we can be like, uh, just to facilitate her as a place for that sort of shit, you know? Having a strong scene is very important to us and to the to the whole th- enterprise. Well, I think now, you know, specifically out here in Brooklyn, that it feels like there actually is a scene because there was a few years that things were looking kind of dark here. You know, I mean, there was there were spaces out in Bushwick that were having shows, but there was never like like there was like a couple year period where I mean, I'm thinking mainly like when my band Anodyne, like the final years of that band. There was really almost nowhere for us to play in some ways. Like there was CBs where we, we played there on bigger shows or whatever, but there there wasn't really, you know, we played ABC No Rio during the day on Saturdays and stuff, but there wasn't like, you know, those spots. You know, there's Agreed. a couple of spots out and like we played at some of those loft shows out in in uh Sure, in, which in are Bushwick. awesome. You know, and they still happen. But yeah. it's it's like that was all we had, though, at that point. Exactly. And I think that that's where it's like you really want like a bit of like a, you know, a, a solar system that has a couple different levels. Yeah. To, like really like, you know, mo- move some bands up the ranks. It's like, all right, cool. Like we can play the, the loft and slam 100 people in there and it's fucking sick. But now like the band's getting a little bit more popular. We could also go and jam at Vitus and maybe 200 people come this time or whatever. You know what I mean? And then we still do play the loft every so often anyway, right. just because it's fun. Yeah. And that shit's totally cool. That's the way things should sort of operate, but yeah. it, we didn't have those options. No, it was man. A, it's like a buffet that only served eggs. You're like, where's the bacon? Yeah, where's man. the ham? Yeah. <laughs> Give me some shit. Because um, even right, right before like you guys opened, man, like I mean, Tombs, is, we'd been around for like a couple of years at that point, and there's still even... even there was uh, shows were happening at... Um, that spot up the street here, uh, Europa. Yeah. And that was a fucking drag, man, playing there. Yeah, I just feel like, well, it, it was one of these things where, for them, I understand Europa's place and in, in time, and I, I think that, you know, obviously there were deficiencies in some of the things they did, because it wasn't just about what was going on that night. What was really going on that night to make yeah. their, their ends meet was a big, you know, Polish club night, yep. which is totally fine but um you know and for certain places and with the economics involved of like running a place in new york city and everything else like that doing shows is a great for a supplemental income but um at the same time you know they as an institution need to you know make their ends meet and do what they you know what their primary objective is which was never to do like shows like big like or heavy music shows especially. Yeah, yeah, It did happen, and, you know, I think that there were a lot of good shows there, and I think some people put some great work into trying to pull some of them off, or pulling some of them off in some great shows at that space. But, again, it wasn't like, it's not like, you know, like our thing. Like, it's not like, hey, this, this is not waving the flag for, you know... Uh, heavy metal and punk and hardcore or, or you know yeah. like you know they're not going to be like yeah dude we're having Murzbo play yep. it's Friday <laughs> would, yeah, you know it's there, Friday man, night man. fucking Paul Bear is playing like that yeah. stuff is I really like Paul Bear I keep mentioning yeah. um, but it, like you know what I mean so I just in my estimation it was like it was something where you know it's still also though for a room that's a little bit bigger than Vitus and in between like a a bigger spot it does occupy an interesting 
place in like the landscape you could still definitely use it you know yeah but it just it's a different it's different it's yeah, a different aesthetic different the, vibe the only the other spot was union union pool yeah which was like you could feel like 80 people in there and that was it yeah and, and union pool sounds really fucking I, good. I used to really like playing there man but you know it just it was uh you know troublesome you know what i mean because it, it's a little I, I think that union pool sounds really good yeah. and the people are cool people are cool at work and there, yeah. Uh, yeah people are great um and the sound i think is great and they have great sound guys like mm -hmm. the staff is great i think also with with union pool um you know, again, it's one of these things where it's it, the the show is. You know, it, if anyone who isn't familiar, Union Pool is a little bit of a compound. There's like a one building that's a bar, one building where the show is, and then like this backyard. So depending on what night that show is, and it's a very busy bar. Yeah. So man. not everybody is necessarily there for the same reasons and stuff. And sometimes that could. Hey, bum some people out or not or whatever. Um, I think it's still a great place to play a show, you know, a, a, of of any sort. And I definitely dig it. But yeah, definitely. Could you fit more people at St. Vitus? Absolutely, you know. And it just really depends on on kind of where you're at. So that's the, all. The main selling factor for me at Union Pool was that taco truck they had. The you know? tacos are phenomenal. Yeah, they and, just, that's great. You know? Yeah, and it's you know it's a totally like fun place but it's also like hey you know it's like super popular bar in Williamsburg on a Saturday and you're gonna throw a show too and you know some of those crowds rub in <laughs> really funny ways you know slam a you know a bunch of like 22 year olds who just came to Brooklyn for the first time like last month and then throw in like a bunch of fucking grizzled metalheads and just like it's it could be a funny look at times yeah totally <laughs> absolutely yeah but the room is great the people are cool Tacos are great. So like the taco truck is is like at the end of the night, man. You know, after a long night of rock music. Yeah. You know, it's definitely after Boom. load out, man. You get yeah. A couple of tacos. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's good rooms to play, you know, and um, you know Union Pool too. I think they didn't open that back room for shows. It hasn't been around for like ever either. When you're talking about like that period, like the end of Anodyne and stuff yeah. like that. They weren't that no. that room was not open. No. Like that room has been open forever. You know what I mean at all. So it also, I would say maybe six years ago or five years ago, they started, and they weren't doing stuff like as much as they do now. They were doing a show here and there. They really eased their way into it because it doesn't have to always be the thing where like there are venues, so we need to do the show to to do business. You know, like they're a bar that's already successful. And yeah, they added. Yeah, this, they got DJs, all kinds. And of they stuff got going and they on. added this really cool component. And like I've seen a lot of music there that I really dig. Oh yeah, so, I saw Iron Age played there. I've seen a ton yeah, of shows. You know, uh, you so Geigen. I saw Geigen play there. That yeah, was dude, rad. and even like um, just like some other like I saw Sleepy Sun play there, which is cool. Like kind of psych rock band. I get, you know, they get some obviously other you know, acts in there that sometimes kind of can pique my interest that aren't really, you know, like, you know, super crushingly heavy. And then I'll go see Mutilation Reds there or yeah, something. Yeah, or Faust play there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah. it's a good, definitely a cool room. Um, but yeah, I, you know, Vitus kind of exists in like this, this world and like we really wanted to fly the flag for it and just be like, cool, like this is what we're into. This is what we're about. Yeah. Now what's this other spot you have? Oh, over the eight, man. Yeah, that man. is the, that is the neighborhood bar. That is this uh, other spot that I own. That's on uh, Union and Richardson uh, here in Williamsburg, and it's more of like a local bar, like a good hang. 
Um, we have, you know, some good beers on tap. Uh, we have this back room. Also, it, it's a, I guess I'm a fan of the two-room sort of vibe where there's a kind of bar in the front. And the backspace is used primarily for DJs and parties, but we do also a lot of, like, readings and comedy shows. Oh, wow. Cool. And, uh, yeah, we have some really, really cool, like, readings in there. We have this one thing called the Empiricist League where basically they do all these really interesting – they kind of pick a topic, and then they have certain well-known kind of more scholarly writers – and well-published writers come in and just speak on different things. Damn. So one is like the you know love and sex in the future and what's mm -hmm. that going to look like. Yeah. And they get all these cool writers, like three or four wow. different ones. It's really I really like having a space that is different. You know, all my musical, as far as like this dark, heavy music that I love and passionate about, that flies into to Vitus, you know. But then. You know, we don't really do tons of live music over there. It's really more about like, hey, let's throw the party. Let's yeah. do something else. And also, we can use this back room for all these really like cool things. Like one night, we had fucking any Archer fans out there. We had H. John Benjamin in there doing comedy along with like a couple other people. Um, you know, really cool, like awesome local comedy writers and stuff like that. It's really fun. And, Damn, what what nights of the week do you do these things? I we, uh, go. We, a lot of like uh, the readings happen on Tuesday nights, and a lot of the comedy shows happen Wednesdays thir and Thursdays, and some kind of earlier before our DJs happen on Fridays and Saturdays. So yeah, it's really like just a good, fun like local spot, and um, really comfortable. And you know, people, it's fun that. You know, I definitely get like people come to Vitus and also go there, and like you know, there are times on a Tuesday it's just like a cool chill bar you know what i mean if that's what you're looking for conversations other things happening it's kind of really good to be like on that level and then on the weekends it can become more of like you know party time dancing hanging out do you got like regular dj type yeah definitely and and you know we're looking to start like more stuff one of the things that i guess especially be relevant to some of the listeners of this is uh on tuesdays you're going to start doing like these parties where we listen to new metal releases and like hardcore and punk releases. Oh, cool. And I'm working out with my friend Paul Martino, who is, uh, I consider to be St. Vitus' number one customer and has become a really good friend and a really great guy. And, um, you know, he was talking about how he was bummed because he plays skee ball all the time at Full Circle Bar. There was one um, bartender there that really liked some, you know, heavy metal and stuff. And, Paul would come in and be like, hey, I bought this new record or whatever. It was always on Tuesdays, which is when yeah, a lot of records day, are released, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, there's a new guy. And like, you know, I don't get, you know, me and my friends don't really like listen to this anymore. And I was like, kind of put a light. I was like, why don't we do this? And uh, the guitar player of White Widows, back, you know, works on Tuesdays and stuff. So it's kind of a perfect thing. So we're going to do a little, little listening party, hangout, new release thing on Tuesdays. And, yeah, everybody there plays in bands and it's like, does a lot of stuff. You know, White Widow's Pack, No Way, Primitive Weapons, all these different, you know, people who are, like, artists um, and, and writers and musicians. They all hang out there. So I just wanted to kind of do a neighborhood bar that kind of reminded me of New York bars that I used to like going to because everybody in there was kind of, doing something they were a writer they were an artist they were a musician there was like a kind of class of people that i felt you know could use at home maybe around in those parts still like in in north brooklyn over there you know yeah it's like ah oh, this is a cool place you know weirdos hang out here it's fun <laughs> yeah dude that's uh you know that's I, I i knew you were doing something else but i didn't i didn't know it was uh 
that kind of thing, man. Yeah, it's definitely. Cool. Uh, absolutely. And it's it's cool because just it's a different different look, you know, but at the same time it's also very like it's uh, people know it's me, you know, and people know the people who work there and stuff like that too. So they know that it's like, all right, cool, I can come in here and, you know, you know, on an off night and stuff like that, or like if it's just like normal bar hours and like there's no DJ or stuff, Judas Priest might be playing, you know what I mean? It's like totally just a cool hang. So yeah, it's fun. Cool. Well, thanks for coming by tonight, man. Appreciate it. Um, you know, once again, uh, you know, we got Dave Castillo, front man of uh, Primitive Weapons and also White Widow Pact. You might, you'll also see him regularly at St. Vitus. I'm there, dude. <laughs> Always. I think I've never not seen you there. I can, I, I've done a bit better at kind of carving some more time out from it uh, here and there. And also, you know, I have over the hate and stuff. But, yeah. you know, uh, luckily we have a super capable, super awesome, you know, staff and everything else like that. So, you know, I, I can't go to 25 shows a month. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's... that's yeah. <laughs> or, or more, but... Um, like being on tour but I try and, you know, I'm... I'm there every week, a couple nights usually, trying to, you know, hang and also check shit out, you know? So, yeah, I'm cool. over there. <laughs> Once again, if you want to buy a hemp, an all-hemp jujitsu gi, go to Datsusara. And if you want to buy some uh, some killer organic uh, cashew butter, uh, go over to Onnit Labs. And be sure to get there by going through the everythingwentblackmedia.com portal. Take care. <laughs> Yeah!